to this day, this week, climate issues, and and this is a big deal. It's it's affecting all the people around the world, not just us in California. Uh, you know the weather, the the water. So it's it's a it's a big deal that we all need to be concerned about. Environmental sustainability is both a social movement and a sustainable business practice. And it's it's our people leaders that have that unique position to influence the lifelong behaviors of the roles that they have. The green is good. Overall, the point of green is that we have an environment. We only get one shot at it, and if we continue to mess up the environment, there won't be an environment for us to have. The environmental movement, in my mind, is the, the way we used to address it, which is um, let's get enough people angry about it, upset about it. We'll get our politicians upset about it. Uh, the EPA was um, established, and so it it just came in with a hammer onto organizations and said, you cannot do this. You're going to be punished for your uh, your um, pollution and your waste and these things. And where I think where we've seen a a, a, a transfer or, or a, a change in initiatives is now that the green movement is more of a proactive, not just let's stop doing the things that pollute, but let's actually do proactive things that encourage uh, sustainable behaviors within every worker in the organization. Um, let's let's actively do things that has our company be a leader in the industry towards uh, saving energy and, and these types of things. As the industrial revolution um, really got fired up, we started to see the uh, power of the uh, capitalist machine. And we were able to crank out things, be so super ultra ultra productive, and these companies um, were were focused on that. They focused on their outputs, and they were polluting rivers, and they were polluting the skies, and all these things. And so there were people that um, were very concerned about that, and started speaking up. We had in the environmentalists, uh, John Muir, those types even that were um, protesting against this toxic waste and, and things like that. And it really, uh, it grew over time. There was a, a massive uh, protest at the in our nation's capital. And this environmentalist just continued to grow and grow and grow. There has to be a driver of these efforts throughout the organization, a custodian, mm -hmm. a champion. And the CEO has many, many things to in on their plates so this is because they can be a champion but they the ceo needs help from a, another c-suite executive mm -hmm. to move this to drive these efforts uh, throughout the organizational structure and then as i said hr is in now with the efforts of dr david ulrich in a strategic mode the, uh, the topic of discussion in most HR circles is how does HR come to the table? The table uh, means the table means the decision-making table. HR has been, as I said, mostly regarded as an administrative backroom function. So, and HR people want to become 
a critical player in the organizational equation. So it seems to me, and that's why the thesis has been laid out in this book, this is a stepping stone for a, the people function, the HR function within the organization to become, come to the table, so to speak, be the facilitator of environmental and sustainability and the green movement within each organization. And this is a paradigm shift for the HR function. And I'm saying this, if HR takes on the responsibility or is given the responsibility to be the facilitator, the coordinator, the champion, the sponsor, the cheerleader for environmental efforts within the organization is, I think HR will then come, be able to successfully sit, come to the table, so to speak. Business leaders, people leaders, can now be the solution to not only the organization's um, issues, but also can serve, uh, solve some of our society's issues with the little micro changing of behaviors within our small teams that become infectious, that become grow up into other teams and other um, pieces of the organization to where we have large corporations behaving in an environmentally sustainable manner as well. Greetings and welcome to the New World of Work podcast. This is podcast number 14, where we talk about people, leadership, and the digital age. Today, we're going to be talking about the green movement. And so with us today, we've got Dr. Bob, and we also have Bill Garrison, who's going to start us off on this conversation about the green movement. Bill, tell me what this whole green movement is about. Yeah, excellent. Um, I, I actually like the way that we started this chapter out. Um, this, the chapter title is actually uh, Green Human Resource Management. And so it really is about what is the role green has in our organizations. But I start out the chapter from quoting the uh, the movie Wall Street. If you remember the Charlie Sheen and um, his, Love that his, movie. what was his dad's name? Uh, um, Charlie Sheen's dad. Michael Michael Douglas? No. Is that right? I don't remember his dad, but it was a great movie. And at the end, uh, he's playing Gordon Gecko. Martin Sheen. Martin Sheen. Thank you. Thank you. So Martin Sheen plays this uh, greedy capitalist named uh, Gordon Gecko. And he's having this uh, fantastic moment in, in front of this uh, board shareholders. And he talks about how the virtues of greed how greed is so good and, and all these things. And it's a classic line, a great movie if you haven't seen it. But what's what's ironic about the uh, that whole time is that he's um, greedily going to take over that company. He's trying to get the shareholders to vote to allow him to take over the company, who he's going to dismantle and take apart and uh, become independently rich, meanwhile screwing over all the people that he's influencing. And so uh, I changed that at the beginning to say green is good. Green, it, it, and uh, you almost think of, as you read that that line, uh, 
the Star Wars where the force flows through you and the force is a life force. Um, uh, so it's it's really interesting how top of the top of the mind um, the green movement is in everyday uh, in our everyday lives in our work lives and really overall the point of green is that we have an environment we only get one shot at it and if we continue to mess up the environment there won't be an environment for us to have and so we're going to talk about today really that in the environmental movement the green movement and why the uh, green the green initiatives should actually live within the human resources department and not within the uh, operations management um, areas. And so we, we look forward to this discussion today. Um, our goal is actually, uh, as Dr. Bob would say, is this is not a political issue. This is just a matter of fact. And the fact that our politicians are divided on this topic doesn't do us any good. And so... We hope that uh, through our organizations, we can make some movement on this issue. Thank you for that. So with the green movement, it, we can break it down into three things, right? The environmental movement itself, the green movement itself, and then why HR is, is the home of the green movement or why it should be. Yeah. So what are your thoughts on... Um, and where where we're at now with the green with the green yeah. movement? Yeah, the environmental movement. Um, I use that term to kind of describe what has happened in the past. Uh, at, as the industrial revolution um, really got fired up, we started to see the uh, power of the uh, capitalist machine, and we were able to crank out things, be so super ultra ultra productive, and these companies. Um, were were focused on that they focused on their outputs and they were polluting rivers and they were polluting the skies and all these things and so there were people that um, were very concerned about that and started speaking up we had in the environmentalists uh, john muir those types even that were um, protesting against this toxic waste and, and things like that and it really uh it grew over time. There was a, a massive uh, protest at the in our nation's capital, and this environmentalist just continued to grow and grow and grow. And uh, I think we even remember pieces of the hippie movement uh, having environmentalism in it. With is that right? I'm not saying Robert, you were there. <laughs> <laughs> no, you you are right. But actually, you know, to this day, this week climate issues and and this is a big deal it's it's affecting all the people around the world not just us in california uh you know the weather the the water so it's it's a it's a big deal that we all need to be concerned about yeah and and i have this picture up right now of uh the movie the lorax um you can see the Lorax there on the right and the trees that are on the top picture there. But uh, before I describe that, I want to look at the bottom picture. Um, you may have seen pictures like this before. This is uh, a giant sequoia or a giant redwoods. And I've been to both of those areas here in California. These trees are massive. They're grand. Uh, you just are awe-inspired by them. And uh, meanwhile, what you have here in this picture 
is a group of loggers that are proud of chopping down this tree, right? Um, I don't I don't believe these loggers were thinking when they chopped down these trees that they were doing any harm. I think they saw there was a massive demand for housing, um, especially after the gold rush. We had the ability to move these logs. Uh, and so instead of chopping down hundreds of trees, they only had to, to cut down several of these trees. And they could build several houses out of one tree. Um, but we started to notice that this was not a sustainable. So, so that that's kind of changed our our minds. But this guy on the right, uh, his name is the Lorax, and he's the from a Disney movie called The Lorax. The Lorax is this creature that is uh, able to to chop down. These tree, or there's a environmentalist within this movie, sorry, uh, who sees these trees as very valuable trees that they can create this uh, product. And so they continue to chop down these trees and chop down these trees. And everybody is loving it because they get the, the product. And the environment, the um, capitalist is loving it because he's making money. And so there's just this supply and demand. Fun capitalism, everybody's happy. But the Lorax lives in the trees, and he starts to notice that if we chop down all these trees, there won't be any trees left for him to live in. And eventually, what the capitalist learns, too, is that if I chop down all these trees, there will be no more trees for me to chop down to use for my products. And so uh, he starts to understand not only the environmental impact, but uh, as a capitalist he needs to have a sustainable supply of of raw materials the top the chapter basically is laying out a thesis the thesis is organizational organizational efforts at environmental sustainability any organization's efforts whatever they're doing in recycling, a responsible sourcing, raw material sourcing, and all the other green projects, okay, that most organizations have undertaken, needs an umbrella, uh, a champion, a custodian. And right now, it's kind of divided effort within organizations, okay? Manufacturing is doing their thing. Uh, marketing is doing, developing green products, etc. Mm. So, from a philosophical and conceptual and theoretical point of view, mm, strategic point of view, some function within the organization has to be responsible for environmental sustainability or the green efforts of the organization. So it seems to us, and we lay out this thesis in the book, that since, since the conduit for effective green, effectively managing sustainability or involving ourselves in sustainability is the people of the organization, it's the human resources of the organization. It seems logical to us 
that the right custodian for green effort and the green movement within the organizations is the HR function, the chief people officer of the company, okay? Because they can coordinate and, and create an environment in the company, in the organization, that every employee is then geared to behaving in an environmentally sustainable manner while they are in the, in the work environment, in the new world of work. That is the thesis we are laying out. I don't think organizations have this effort going, but it's kind of distributed, uh, non-uncoordinated. So giving it this function, making the HR function the custodian of all the green efforts, which in involves people, people efforts, seems to be a logical step, strategic step. And that's our thesis in this chapter. Yeah, I think I think the where I was describing before, the environmental movement in my mind is the, the way we used to address it, which is um, let's get enough people angry about it, upset about it. We'll get our politicians upset about it. Uh, the EPA was um, established. And so it it just came in with a hammer onto organizations and said, you cannot do this. You're going to be punished for your, uh, your um, pollution and your waste and these things. And where I think where we've seen a, 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 a transfer or, or a, a change in initiatives is now that uh, the green movement is more of a proactive, not just let's stop doing the things that pollute, but let's actually do proactive things that encourage uh, sustainable behaviors within every worker in the organization. Um, let's let's actively do things that has our company be a leader in the industry towards uh, saving energy and, and these types of things, as opposed to, you know, maybe there's 10 people within the organization that uh, some one of those people gets a understands that the city is doing a cleanup day. So the 10 of them get a, a t-shirt made from the company and they go out and take a picture of cleaning up off the highway, right? That's a typical green initiative or perhaps we're going to convert all our bulbs from incandescent to LED. These are all positive, smaller steps. Um, but we need to be doing more than what's currently going on with the green movement. Yeah. You know, I, I want to say that, uh, well, as you gentlemen know, I'm involved in the stock market and I'm you know checking stocks and buying stocks and trading stocks all the time. And there's this new score called the ESG rating. And uh, you talked about it briefly, but that's where people can actually vote with their pocketbook. For example, if they if these companies do not end up with a good composite score, which looks at the environment, social, and and other uh, government policies for these companies, if they're not like triple, it's kind of like a bond. You know, it's, it's a tri triple A or a triple B or A minus. Um, if they don't have good scores, people may not want to buy their stocks. They're, you know, if you got two stocks and they're equally the same, maybe they're looking for the one that has the best uh, ESG rating as well. 
And I know um, some of those companies that come to mind are um, NVIDIA, and Microsoft, and, and uh, Best Buy. They, they routinely have excellent scores. So people are already voting with their pocketbooks. Yeah, there's a, a, one of the guys we highlight in our chapter, and uh, we'd love to have him as a guest on our podcast, is uh, Joel Makeover. Um, he, he does a annual poll called Earth Day and the Polling of America, and he's a big believer in the green movement and uh, gathers what is the uh, – does surveys on people on Earth Day to see what their attitudes are towards the environment. And um, – so similar to what you're talking about, kind of a scoreboard, um, what he found when he first did that survey in 2007, that most people believe in protecting the environment, building a sustainable environment. Um, but when it came down to their pocketbooks, like you just said, they were not willing to spend more to, on a product uh even though it was more environmentally friendly. And he's done the survey every year and he's, oh, he's growing kind of disappointed in that the momentum is not changing. Um, but I think this ESG rating you're talking about, it gives uh, the CEOs and the, the boards, uh, the stockholders, this more transparency into the operations of the company. And so you can take a look at somebody's ESG rating just like you could their annual report say, are, is this company being mismanaged? So these ratings, so do they belong in operations or human resources? I mean, we touched on that a little bit, but from your opinion, who do you think should, where should that umbrella of responsibility lay? Yeah. I, Dr. Bob, you mentioned the HR department, the, the, the chief human resource people officer should be the one that leads those efforts, but it has to be something that the entire C-suite, the CEO, um, the top managers all have to believe in it. Um, we've seen in our own organizations we've worked for where maybe there's this uh, small movement or initiative within the company and everybody gets really excited, but the CEO's not on board or the top executive team's not on board. And so what happens eventually is um, that fizzles out. It doesn't, it's not sustainable. Um, but where the ESG rating is the responsibility of the entire top management team, I just think the solutions, uh, I agree with Dr. Bob, the solutions need to come from the HR department. This is my take on this very specifically. There's a lot of discussion, talk in management literature today. So of a concept called the triple bottom line. The triple bottom line for an organization, for a, for a business organization, or an economic or a financial organization, which is the triple bottom line. What does the triple bottom line mean? It means the three P's, people, profit, and planet, okay? So most organizations, and because of all these surveys that you guys are talking about, have to put a concentrated effort in all the mm, three P's. If you look at the three P's, people and planet, 
it starts with people the first p is people who is in, who is the custodian of people in the organization it's the chief people officer and profit and planet comes from the efforts of the people in the organization therefore it seems to us that logically where the green a company's green movement of sustainability efforts strategic efforts the custodian the person who drives the organization to realizing the triple bottom line should be the chief people officer now the hr function has all throughout many many years throughout the years i've been in here in the recent days the uh, the hr organization throughout the years i've been in it mainly for the first fifth half of my career was an administrative function then it started sl slowly moving into more uh, of a strategic function and now with the insight of dr david alrick who is one mm -hmm. of the top thinkers of in hr hr is now in an era of being in a strategic function so if if you assume that hr is now or the people function of the organization is a strategic function it seems to us most logically that the chief people officer should become the custodian of sustainability and the green efforts of the organization and coordinate all the different efforts going on in the organization within the other functions marketing as i said manufacturing engineering etc and also play an important role in using this environmental sustainability as a ticket or a key to employee engagement and employee employee motivation this is mainly because the younger generations that are continuing to populate most organizations are real believers in in when the environmental sustainability because it's their lives they want yes agree. they want this planet to be safe and sound as they tra traverse their entire lives so it seems to me from the bully pulpit of environmentalism within the organization should be led should be occupied by the chief people officer that's the thesis that's the hypothesis we are laying out for consideration in our book and i'll tell you why i agree with that um from a business owner standpoint uh, say i'm the ceo or operations manager my primary uh, goals are to produce to to run the operations and i see things like the epa and uh osha as obstacles to avoid or uh, get away from i have these regulations that are problems towards my productivity if you're asking me while I'm doing all this to also then think of environmental sustainability, it's almost uh, counter to what I'm trying to do. So I'm not saying that we shouldn't 
believe higher operations managers, higher CEOs that believe in environmental sustainability. But I think the day-to-day, the strategic direction uh, initiatives the corporation does, it makes much more sense to have the people leaders be the ones in charge of that. And I do, I do think one of the things that we address in the book is the idea that the environmental movement was owned by half of the population uh, and it was on one side of the aisle is not a solutions-based way to go about this. I think we'll find that there's uh, probably 90% of the country believe in uh, protecting the environment, doing these types of things. And yet uh, there's this belief that only 50% of the people believe in these things. So I agree with you, Dr. Bob, in that these could be small social movements within small core teams, um, the people leader at every level and influence their team to uh, not only behave sustainably at work, but then carry that to their home life and to their families. And that will bubble up in society. Um, So far, what we've done is uh, vote people in to wear our jersey to fight to have this argument as a political issue. And it's just not, it's not a political issue. And so there's not a political solution to this. Yeah, I would agree. And I, and I would say further that this should be part, for each corporation, each company, this should be part of the mission statement as well and, and, the, and the value statement for each company. So they, they need, because it's got to come from HR and it's got to come from the top down. To, and like you said, it's got to hit every single department, every single manager. This is a critical issue. From my perspective, Robert, uh, it, this uh, you guys are right. This is a strategic initiative. So all the C-suite executives have to believe in it and support it. But so, uh, there has to be a driver of these efforts throughout the organization, a custodian, mm-hmm. a champion. And the CEO has many, many things to in on their plates. So this is because they can be a champion, but they, the CEO needs help from a, another C-suite executive mm-hmm. to move this, to drive these efforts uh, throughout the organizational structure. And then, as I said, HR is in now with the efforts of Dr. David Ulrich in a strategic mode. The, uh, the topic of discussion in most HR circles is how does HR come to the table? The table means the table means the decision-making table. HR has been, as I said, mostly regarded as an administrative backroom function. So, and HR people want to become a critical player in the organizational equation. So it seems to me, and that's why the thesis has been laid out in this book, this is a stepping stone for the people function, the HR function within the organization to become, come to the table, so to speak, be the facilitator of environmental and sustainability and the green movement within each organization. And this is a paradigm shift 
for the HR function. And I'm saying this, if HR takes on the responsibility or is given the responsibility to be the facilitator, the coordinator, the champion, the sponsor, the cheerleader for environmental efforts within the organization is, I think HR will then come, be able to successfully sit, come to the table, so to speak, okay? And remember, HR is also responsible for effective employee communications and green uh, sustainability and green uh, HR is also responsible for training, employee communications training. And all of these traditional HR functions need to adopt, co-opt the environmental message of the organization in their programs so that employees, the culture of the employees organization is in the environmental movement, the environmental sustainability thought process is built into the organizational culture. And, and HR can is in a very good position to make that happen. Yeah, and, and in this chapter, that is our thesis. In, in this, this chapter, chapter, we even provide a framework. So, if you're a, a people leader within the HR department, or um, you you probably agree with Dr. Bob in saying that we do need to take this over. We are best positioned to do this, um, and we've been we've got to see at the table. And now, the C-suite. The uh, top management has agreed with us, and they say, "Okay, you've got it. Now what?" And uh, our book actually gives you the now what. It gives you the framework. Even the idea of hiring gig workers is a sustainable uh, practice if you can do it quickly. If you can eliminate the waste that is happening within the organization, um, that's going to be a less uh, a lesser impact on the environment when you become more and more efficient at those things. When people are trained better, there's a, a, a lot of waste uh, is eliminated. And so we don't need to use up as many resources when we become better at uh, the people, uh, the people pieces within the organization. It, to, be, to be specific, I think most organi many organizations because of pressure from as Bob was saying, from the investment community, have become super conscious about their environmental footprints. Okay, so there are many, many projects efforts going on within companies. Okay, all we are saying here is HR, the people, chief people officer, and his or her function is the best suited to take on the facilitator role, the coordinator role, the champion role for these efforts within the company and therefore become the strategic leader for these functions, for these activities within the company. Yeah, and, and I would agree. So as we get ready to wrap this up, I think what we're saying is the environmental sustainability is both a social movement and a sustainable business practice. And it's, it's our people leaders that have that unique position to influence the lifelong behaviors of the roles that they have overseeing our environment and uh, the sustainability roles. 
Yeah, I think I think is if those of us that are um, in business in the industry of business and uh, believers of capitalism, um, there's a lot in our past where we were responsible for the destruction of our environment, the 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 toxic waste, those types of things, and I really believe that um, business leaders, people leaders, can now be the solution to not only the organization's um, issues, but also can serve, uh, solve some of our society's issues with the little micro-changing of behaviors within our small teams that become infectious, that become grow up into other teams and other um, pieces of the organization to where we have large corporations behaving in an environmentally sustainable manner as well. That's absolutely correct, Bill. Well, thank you guys all again for joining us. Uh, we, we appreciate each and every one of you. Please uh, like, comment, subscribe. If we've got it wrong, let us know in the comments. Uh, we'd love to engage with you in the comments section. And uh, look out for our, our book coming out very soon. Uh, we'll be You'll be hearing more about that. Uh, visit us on our website at www.newworldpeoplespecialist.com and uh, you can subscribe to our YouTube channel, subscribe to uh, our, our uh, podcast and give us five-star reviews. Um, I giggled there a second, Dr. Bob, because uh, there's this game that's happening on TikTok right now where you ask a Gen Z person, what does WWW stand for? And they don't know the answer. So it's a it's a funny thing that uh, we've <laughs> come this long. But, uh, that, and don't give away the answer now. They have to find it on their own. But uh, thank you guys both again for your insight, and we'll see you guys next time. Thank you, gentlemen. Take care.